The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Welcome to Business is Boring. Non-dairy cheese is in many ways the holy grail of alternatives to dairy products. It's one of the hardest things to do, thanks to the stretch and unique character of the animal-based product. But things are getting exciting in the space. One company here that's been at the front of alternative cheese popularisation and innovation since 2006. Angel Food began by distributing the best options from around the world, and in 2014 started making their own. Today, they sell over 130 tonnes in more than 350 outlets around the country and are the market leader. It's a huge start, but it's still less than half a percent of the dairy cheese sold. So there's a lot of opportunity ahead as more people make flexitarian choices in their eating. To capture some of that opportunity, Angel Food have a Pledge Me capital raise happening now. And to talk their journey, the issues of cheese, and their plans for Australian advancement and better and better vegan cheese, founder Alice Shopland joins us now. Tanakwe, thank you for being here. Yora, thanks for the opportunity. Hey, how cool. How did you come to be interested in this world of alternative cheeses? I went vegan in 2004. Um, so next year, 20 years is not just a phase I'm going through. Um, and I would have, um, I didn't actually struggle with giving up cheese I because I was very determined to be vegan. So I just stopped eating cheese and I ate a lot of dark chocolate instead and that was fine. But I totally understood how the idea of giving up cheese uh, and therefore being on a plant-based diet was um, just too much for a lot of people and I wanted to um, help make a difference in that area. What are the issues with cheese? Because I think like lots of people know, you know, things to do with like milk and, you know, meat. But I think a lot of people give cheese almost like a free pass because they don't really want to think about it. So what is the situation with cheese um, that's the problem? Uh, well, if, you, if there's a problem with cow's milk, then there's 10 times the problem with cheese because cheese is concentrated cow's milk. Um, it, you know, the water usage, the land use, the eutrophication, the treatment of the animals, they're all intensified if you're concentrating the product. And it's the kind of thing, geez, that although people do have like a deep emotional attachment to it and say things like, you know, oh, I could never give up cheese. People don't really, and, and myself included, people don't really like to think too much about what it actually is. Hey. No, I think you're right. It's um, it's quite removed from the animal. Um the milk, you can very easily imagine it coming out of <laughs> the cow, especially if you um, have had a child and, um, you know, that's mammals lactating. Um, but yeah, the cheese is another step 
removed or another several steps removed. So, yeah, people don't think about what's in. And we aren't encouraged to think about what goes into our food, how that got to be there. So um, it's only, um, I mean, now we're being forced to think about it because of environmental damage. Um, but, yeah, until quite recently, it's only been quite unusual people who've been willing to step outside that, um, I guess, food paradigm and really question it and make different choices. Yeah, and even, like, you know, in kind of whether it's, like, a good kind of idea to eat it, like, it's one of the only areas of our food where it's okay for things to be, like, rotten or have, like, mould or have gone off on purpose and kind of, you know, there's a lot of things to it well, that are kind of weird. Got eh? Sauerkraut yeah, and yeah. kimchi, and um, there are lots of, you know, uh, there's a traditional Maori dish of fermented corn. Mm. So it's a food preservation technique that's been used for a long time. But yeah, I guess the mold aspect is a bit unusual. Yeah. Yeah. And that concentration of all the issues to do with dairy living inside cheese getting a bit of a free pass because people do have that big big um relationship to it hey like you do hear people say i couldn't give it up oh absolutely um yeah and i've done a lot of thinking about what the strong sort of cultural pull is i mean there is a chemical component because um mammals milk contains um casomorphines because you don't want your baby, whether it's a cow or a human, to just have some milk and then never want any more again. You need it to come, keep coming back for more. So um, the, and of course, because the milk is concentrated to make cheese, the case of morphines are concentrated. So I think it's easy to overstate the addictive nature of cheese, but there is a mild addictive element to it. Um and so, so, so cheese is actually, yeah, like it, it, people treat it like crack because it is uh, an addictive substance. Yes, there's that. Um, the case of morphines, there's also the the fat and the salt, which are also, I don't know if they're technically addictive, but, you know, we love to eat them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 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 And, and, and how do you go about replacing that, like, with an alternative, like... Do you sneak some <laughs> some case some morphine. morphine in no. there? Do you um, do you make sure that it's got the same kind of fat and flavour and salt profile? Yes, yes, yep. The the um the fat and the salt are absolutely crucial to um, I mean to replicate the structure, but also the flavour experience. Um. Yeah, which is, and it needs to look like cheese. You know, some people say, oh, well, if you don't want to eat cheese, just don't eat cheese. Don't insult me by trying to come up with an alternative. It's not real, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I grew up eating dairy cheese often twice a day. I absolutely loved it. My whole family was cheese crazy. And, um, yes, I managed to go without it, but um, it's not... It's not an alluring way to live, giving up things, you know, even if they have a very good reason. So um, what we want to do is reduce the barriers to people choosing plant-based meals and, um, yeah, just make it an easy swap. So how did you go about getting started? So, you know, 2004, very different food environment. You know, now every supermarket and grocery has sections for 
foods that are plant-based and alternatives, but not then. Um, cheese, especially rare, like like there's always been soy milks um, available and the, the like. You well, know, not very good ones back then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true. Um, but yeah, like how did you go about finding good ones, and and why did you um, yeah start with distribution? Well, in the early days of being vegan, um, I. I was one of those typical annoying evangelistic vegans and, you know, I apologise to my friends and family for that. Um, but um, I, there was one type of vegan cheese imported and it was in some supermarkets, and but mostly in, you know, organic stores and gluten-free stores. Um, and I bought a pack of this and I really wanted to like it and I just could not. It was, I, like, I actually threw it away and I do not like food waste, but I just couldn't eat it and I certainly wouldn't ask anybody else to eat it. Um, so it was, I don't know, in the next sort of six to 12 months, I started looking, some friends were going to the US and I asked them to bring back some um, US vegan cheeses just so I could see what they were like. And they were very, they weren't very good, but I think they were probably very American cheese tasting, mm. which is not the yeah. Kiwi palate. Low base to start from. <laughs> it's just different. Yeah. Um, so I can't actually remember how I did the UK bit, but I got I must have contacted some companies over there and I got them to send some samples. Um, yeah, and I just thought, okay, this is my contribution to veganism. And I started importing soy cheese from the UK. And then building up distribution and, and you, you know, helping to kind of popularise and make it an option. At what stage, like quite a few years in, decided to start making your own? What led you to that? The, well, we weren't making any money importing these products because we were importing them from such a long way away mm. And in such small quantities, the whole thing was, you know, it was basically a community service, which I was fine with. I was also doing my regular job back then. But, um, you know, I wanted to actually grow a vegan business. So, and I have to admit that also um, people would say, you know, if we were talking about the environmental aspects, people would say, um, well, yeah, maybe it's not dairy, but it's not local either. So, you know, you should be making it if you think so a great product for people to have you should be making it here because mm. food miles and of course we now know that uh what you eat is much more important in terms of your environmental footprint than where it comes from um but i didn't have that argument in my pocket back then so um yeah we decided we actually just paused the importing and had no products for a while and um my husband has a background in science and I'm. we're both very keen cooks and we're both stubborn and optimistic. So we spent hours in the kitchen and we would read labels of other vegan cheeses and see what the ingredients were and we would take a guess at the proportions. <laughs> yeah, it didn't go so well. Um, eventually we had, it kind of went, okay, this is not going to work. We don't have the skills for this. We didn't need an actual food scientist. So um, we engaged a guy who was a food tech contractor and uh, he was Dutch, big fan of cheese, um, but also a big environmentalist and he understood what we were about and um, yeah, said he'd give it a go. And how's the journey been since kind of that 2014? 
is it's such a space of excitement and innovation in this alternate plant space. And I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, trying, you know, the first cheese and not having a great experience. I think a lot of people, like with veggie sausages and stuff, you know, people have tried a bad one and then they kind of lump everything together. How many iterations along with you? And what's the kind of, um, yeah, what's the what's the product suite like at the moment? Um, in terms of people being put off by terrible vegan cheese in the past, I have to say, Mostly people just didn't try it. Yeah. Like, you know, we're still a tiny part of the cheese market, as you said. Um, and for most people, it just wasn't on their radar. We still come across people who are surprised that there is such a thing as plant-based cheese. Um, and when we have a stall at food shows uh, where five years ago people would kind of scuttle past in case they caught veganism off us um, <laughs> and they certainly didn't want to try the products um, now people go oh plant-based that's interesting yeah I'm a big meat and dairy eater and I want to try that um, so there's been just an incredible shift yeah, that's interesting so it's not for you know it's a vegan cheese and you're very um, part of the idea of uh embracing and supporting and popularising the idea of veganism, but it's not a vegan product. It's for everyone who wants to have different approaches to eating. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people who are lactose intolerant or allergic to dairy products. Um, and, you know, because New Zealand's been such a massive animal agriculture country, um, for a long time, I think people just assumed... And you mentioned earlier that cheese in particular has this glow to it. Um, so, yeah, it's been perceived as a really benign product and, you know, that couldn't possibly be what's giving you a sore tummy or diarrhoea or a headache or whatever. But, you know, a lot of people are intolerant to it. So our, our customers are vegans, vegetarians, people with allergies or intolerances, and increasingly people who are... Um, not vegan, but they're cutting down on their intake of animal products. And um, if we can provide a good alternative to what they currently eat um, that they will feel good about and they'll still enjoy and they and it's easily accessible because it's where they do their normal shopping, then you know we're helping them take another step along the plant-based journey. Yeah. Tell us about that journey of making it something that is an easy alternative for people, being in 350 stores around the country. Like, how's that been to get that distribution and get in front of people? Has it been an easy path? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. No, it has not. It yeah. has been really difficult. Yeah. And I never would have started if I'd known all the hurdles and the hoops. Um, yeah. I mean, it was when we had our first, when we were importing and then when we had our first products that we um, developed ourselves, it was quite easy to get them into organic stores and gluten-free stores um, and they're nice to deal with generally um, and they forgave our mistakes because I don't have a background in the food industry, so I was very much learning on the job. Um, but, you know, we didn't want to be a super niche product for wealthy people. We wanted to be a 
good quality mainstream product and that meant that the dream was always to get into supermarkets. Um, so yeah, anyone who watches the news knows that supermarkets can be a little challenging to deal with and um, sure they have definitely cut us some slack at various stages because we were a, a small um, local company but um, yeah, any mistake you made in that make in that area can be quite expensive. And once there is a section in the supermarket, it seems like, of course there'd always be, but it's a really big thing to change, you know, layouts and make space for new ideas and fit things that don't um, fit, fit existing moulds and the like. Um, how's it been as part of kind of educating and growing the market as well as having to do all the other things a company has to do? Well, that is a very good point because we were... Um, I mean, from a business point of view, we started too early. There wasn't enough of a market to really make a viable business back then. But now we've learned all the lessons and we're here ready for the big wave. Um, yeah, it's been really hard. And we um, we eventually we got competition on the shelves. And that was the most terrifying moment because I thought, oh, OK, well, it's all, you know, we're done now. But um, then I realised that uh, if there wasn't any competition, then the segment was too small to be viable. So competition was actually a good sign. Yeah, awesome. And we'll be back in a moment with Alice to talk about what's next and their capital raise. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step -step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Hokimai anō. We're back with Alice Shopland, founder at Angel Food. So tell us kind of what stage are you at now? So you've got kind of like some real hero products in cheese and then also started releasing some other things like, um, and if you're seeing the video of this, uh, this wonderful dairy-free sour cream that I just tried uh, that was really good and also this um, dairy-free feta which is really cool to see these other options coming in as well. But yeah, what's your kind of product range and, and, and where are you sitting today? Uh, we do a blocks of um, mozzarella, cheddar and smoked cheddar and the feta. And then we have a grated cheddar, cream cheese and sour cream and a powdered parmesan. So um, they're all sort of... Everyday cheeses, you know, I get people emailing us to say, oh, please do a halloumi, please do a camembert, and those are technically very difficult. But also, um, because we're niche, um, the, there's a limit to how much space the supermarkets will give us, especially in chill, 
chilled products because that's the most expensive real estate for the supermarkets. So you've got to have a good rate of sale to be earning your space on the shelf. Just the hits. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, and tell us about how you built to that point. Is there's been a couple of times that you've you know, expanded and lifted production and, and, and scale through working with your crowd and going to crowdfunding? Yes, yep. So in 2015, we... Um, I think it was only about six months after the um, Financial Markets Act changed and uh, Pledge Me, which had been doing project crowdfunding up to that point, launched equity crowdfunding. And we weren't the first one with Pledge Me, but we were second or third. It was very early days for them. And um, yeah, that was amazing. We had a minimum raise of 75000 we were aiming for and we... Um, got our maximum of 150,000 and yep there was a um, that enabled a sort of spike in our growth and then same again in 2019 we went back to uh, Pledgeby and to our crowd and uh, we raised $370,000 and again that saw a, a big jump. And that's so cool hey because you get not only the investors but then advocates and more people who are really trying to make this thing work like it's a really good use case when it is a product that people really want to see happen in the world that isn't going to get there without people supporting it exactly yes and I like the idea that eventually those people will get a financial reward for having been so prescient and for understanding the market long before most other people. Yeah, being the early believers. Mm, yes, yeah. totally. And so cool to see the, the growth in volume. But yeah, like we said in the intro there, still so small in the scheme of things. Like there's still so much opportunity. Like if we're going to go and follow the patterns of alternate milk or alternate yogurt is a really interesting space. How big that is compared to where it was 10 years ago. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've seen data showing that um, in the Australian market, um, plant-based meat, milk, and to a lesser extent, yogurt, have all had a huge growth, and cheese is just barely out of the starting blocks. And I think that goes back to the technical difficulty of making a good product, um, but also that sort of emotional attachment that we have to cheese um, yeah, we just don't want to let go of it. Tell us about the innovation and the approach that you have to kind of innovating that product and iterating the cheeses along. As you're on kind of, you know, many, many versions and always kind of um, increasing things, hey? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, the um, when we developed our first recipe in, the, in 2014, um there, there were specialty ingredients available for these kind of products through ingredient suppliers, but there wasn't much choice. You just had to make do with what they had and figure out how to get it to perform to its best. And I've got to say, although our product was good for its time, I don't want to eat it now. Um, so ingredients houses around the world... Um, you know, they, our, our product is based on starch and coconut oil and there are specialty starches for making cheese analogues and there are um, specialty flavour houses doing dairy flavours that, that 
are purely plant-based. So um, there is, in New Zealand, the, the range of options for ingredients is not as wide as it is in bigger markets. So that's been, um, you know, another challenge for us. But, um, yeah, we keep um, an eye on developments and what's available and processes that other companies are using. And um, we look always looking for opportunities to improve the products. This is, so our cheddar is probably in its fourth iteration. I mean, you can't go too crazy with changing it because, um, well, partly because some customers get upset when you make a change, but also you have to change your packaging all the time to update the ingredients and the nutritionals. What are you excited about, about what's around the corner? I love it when I get a message on our social media which says, you make it possible for me to stay away from dairy cheese. You know, it's like, I go, oh yeah, that's why we're here. It's just, you know, it's like they're reading my mind, but my mind can get distracted with the day-to-day operations of things. So I, it's lovely to have those reminders of our purpose. Um, and New Zealand is tiny. So um, rather than waiting for all 5 million New Zealanders to start eating plant-based cheese, we want to... Um, talk to a larger market by getting into Australia. Yeah, and so you're, you've got a Pledge Me crowd equity campaign live now, right? And so that's to help you get to Australia. Tell, tell us about that. Yep. Um, Australia's an exciting opportunity, but it's not cheap to do it properly. Um, our ideal is to be on the shelves in either Coles or Woolworths over there. And um, to, I mean, it would be great if they said, yeah, come on down. We would need basically a million dollars over that first 18 months to um, crank up production, get the products over there in a timely fashion, and to do the marketing support at all the different levels, which mean it has its best chance of being a success because if we just send them over, I hear all these horror stories about Kiwi companies getting excited about selling their first container of product and no follow-up orders come in and it just, you know, dies a death. So, yeah, um, we want to be well prepared to um, make a success in the market. And we've been, we've visited Australia and we've um, spoken to distributors and we've tasted the um, what will be our competition, and um, yeah, we're really happy with how we stack up. Yeah, and the biggest job is to get it selling off the shelf once you're on there, as um, they in those highly uh, contested and expensive parts of the supermarket as well. You, you know, it's got to keep moving, or else they're, they're out. Absolutely, yeah, and that can. Um, yeah, that's quite a horrifying prospect, actually. And <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we I mean, we have the benefit of all these years that we've built up in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And we've um, during that time, we've developed good products and we've developed a strong brand that people really connect with. So but we're not going to have the luxury of building up the brand over, um, you know, 17 years in Australia. <laughs> we're just going to have to um, be very clever and use our resources wisely and um, get the, the brand off to a very good start. Because the brand, although the, you know, the product quality is very important, but the brand being something that people connect with and feel that they can sort of 
trust their love of cheese with is really important as well. Tell us about some of the things you do to create that. Like I see, um, you know, really vibrant commitment to recipes and making it feel like it can easily slot into people's lives. Yes. Yeah. Um, We try to seem normal and approachable and friendly and non-judgmental and all that good stuff Um, because you don't get change for the most part by hitting over the people over the head with your ethics. Um, you know, if they have an inkling that they might agree with you, they're even more likely to um, run in the other direction or just start eating twice the amount of dairy cheese to spite you. Mm. Um, yeah, so we, we take a, a friendly, low-key approach and it, it works. Yeah, people engage with us. And what's the impact you're wanting to make? Because at the moment there's the cheese products in you know, grocery that people buy. There's also food service where you're providing, you, you know, things to companies that, um, you know, are replacing uh, cheese in their operations. Yep. Um, and it's, it's you know, 130 tonne. That's, you know, 10 times that amount of milk. Like it's a lot of, um, <laughs> it's a lot of displacement so far. Yeah, what, 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 what are some of the things around the impact that you're making? Um, yeah, we do sell to food service. So um, about a third of our turnover is to food service um, from, you know, small independent cafes to big QSR chains. And we also supply cheese to manufacturers of pie, the vegan pies that you can buy in gas stations these days. I mean, that didn't happen when I first went vegan. That was (laughs) the thought of having a, being able to buy a vegan pie at a petrol station and a vegan Magnum. That was just unthinkable back then. So, yeah, there are um, lots of... Cheese is such a crucial ingredient for home cooking, but also in um, food service and manufacturing. So, yeah, there's lots of opportunities there, definitely. What's your advice for people who are wanting to make a change and use business as a force for change? That's a really tricky one. Um, It is not easy to be a business person who is guided by their ethics, I would have to say, Um, because you're constantly having to make compromises. And, um, yeah, it's if if you're an ethics-driven person, then those compromises don't feel good. But, so, for example... We have to use plastic for our packaging. There is no other way to do it at the moment. Um, so so that's a big compromise because, you know, there are lots of reasons that plastic is not ideal. Um, on the other hand, you know, plastic gives us great shelf life. It's light to transport, so it doesn't use um, as much um, energy to transport. Um, yeah, it's a complex argument and you're just constantly having to do your best with the resources and the information that you have available. So my, I guess my advice would be do it, but it ain't going to be easy. <laughs> yeah, and like those things with the, the plastic, like you have tubs instead of the soft plastics mm. as well. So are the tubs an easier thing to recycle than soft plastics that Jesus would often come in? Um, n- the tubs are number five plastic, which is in high demand in New Zealand for recycling in New Zealand 
um, we obviously we can't guarantee that um, it all gets recycled, but it's less likely than other types of plastic to be sent offshore or sent to landfill. Um, and 90-something percent of people live in areas where number five plastic is collected in curbside recycling. Um, soft plastic is good, but you're supposed to clean it. And if you've tried cleaning the corners of the cheese wrappers, that's not easy. So, um, yeah. Also, these are very practical. You tip the cheese out, cut off however much you want, and you pop it back in the tub, and um, you're not having to, you know, wrap it in glad wrap or something or put it in another plastic tub mm. to keep it fresh. Yeah, and like, yeah, business having to make the best choice from the available options. Yes, yeah. 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 And, you know, in a few years' time, there will be better options for us. And um, if they're available in New Zealand and they're affordable, then we'll we'll switch, definitely. Great. And as a final thought, what will success be for you and for the company? As There's been so much change in the culture already, but, you know, as someone really excited by this area... It really feels to me like it's it's kind of day one, you know, like the fact that now there's, you know, Whopper burgers with impossible patties and stuff. Like that's just the start of these things being normal. Yes. I mean, I think success for me personally is growing Angel Food into a significant brand in New Zealand and Australia and potentially other overseas markets. I want to show that, you know, we don't have to just do animal products. We can do plant-based products really well, especially ones that um, draw on our um, culture, our history of um, cheese. Um, but yes, a reduction in the amount of animal agriculture is really what success looks like for me. Yeah, wonderful. Well, can't wait to see where it goes next. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story so far. Um, that Pledge Me Raise is live on Pledge Me Now. Uh, look up Angel Food. So thank you very much to Alice Chocolin for staring, sharing your story today. Thanks, Simon. Thank you to Alice, to you for listening, and to everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Samuel Robinson. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. Inohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.